Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Today we have two wonderful interviews for you. First, WBGO's Daybreak host Gary Walker chats with Susan Brecker about the fourth annual The Nearness of You Benefit concert honoring the legacy of the late great saxophonist Michael Brecker. He was a very curious guy and he was extremely curious about all different kinds of music. And then our film critic Harlan Jacobson speaks with his longtime friends, actors Joel Leffert and his wife Nancy Nichols, who are the stars of a new play called The Sweet Spot, centering around important decisions older couples have to make. They're torn and pulled in two directions. One is the, the birth of a, a great grandchild and the uh, upcoming aging process, which is sending them in the other direction toward uh, who will take care of them. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. Hello there, I'm Gary Walker. And for the next few minutes, I want you to stay with me and my very special guest for a very special performance that is upcoming on February the 6th at Jazz at Lincoln Center's Appel Room in New York City. It is the fourth Nearness of You Benefit concert, and it's going to honor the legendary Michael Brecker with performances from Elvis Costello and Diana Krall and Christopher Cross and Diane Reeves and Branford Marsalis and Michael's brother, Randy, and Steve Gadd, and Will Lee is the musical director. And this benefits the legend of Michael Brecker, who touched so many hearts and set the template for post-1960s tenor playing. Students of today even gravitate toward his information through his archive at William Patterson University. And it's my honor today to welcome Michael's wife, Susan. Who's put this all put this all together for the fourth time? Congratulations! Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you again. Now, for those people that don't know, you and Michael were married for many years. Tell the story how you guys met. Well, at the time, I was working at a um, psych hospital in New York, and a woman came to volunteer named Kate Greenfield. And she was volunteering. And at the same time, she also owned a jazz club in Greenwich Village called 7th Avenue South with two brothers, Michael and Randy Brecker. And I was a single woman and she thought that Michael and I might hit it off. And indeed she was right. And we met at 7th Avenue South one night and it was love at first sight. And we were together ever since that night. And that first date was the Bob Mincer Big Band, right? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Oh, you have a good memory, Gary. Over the years, Michael Brecker has influenced, either in performance or on record, the music of Charles Mingus and Chet Baker and Eric Clapton and Aretha Franklin and Patty Austin and so many others. And Andy Snitzer said recently, he said, you know, as fast as I could play, I never could get the melody to be part of it the way Michael always did. And that was why in the studio, when somebody, maybe a Billy Joel, say, you know, I need a Michael Brecker solo.
What do you suppose it was about his attitude that lent itself to those kinds of things? That's an interesting question. He was a very curious guy, and he was extremely curious about all different kinds of music. So he listened to all kinds of music. We in the house listened to just about anything he could get his hands on. And he found something beautiful in everything. And I think that openness and that curiosity enabled him to embrace various genres and various styles. So he became the go-to guy if you needed that solo. And he could do it well and often in very few takes. Well, you know, when the Brecker brothers came along, they took, you know, that straight ahead thing and really put a spin on it. You know, I'm sure Will Lee could could speak to that. But right up to the very end when Michael was making uh, his very last record, Pilgrimage, uh, and he was very ill at the time, he was still investigating Bulgarian folk music. Yes. So, you know, the eyes and the ears were constantly open. We lost Michael in, in 2007 after an exhaustive campaign, a search for a bone marrow transplant match and swabs and things around the world. It didn't work out for him. However, that kind of attitudinal thing, which lives in the nearness of you benefit concert, which raises money for the cancer research at Columbia University Hospital. Uh, talk about the film uh, More to Live For. Uh, I joined with a transplant survivor, James Chippendale, and together we wanted to spread the word and awareness about how easy it was to be a bone marrow donor. Neither one of us had ever made a film before, but we hired Noah Hutton as a director, and we made a film which tells the story of three lives, all of whom were affected by cancer and who were looking for a match. Um, Michael was the tragedy of that story. James was the survivor. And another man, Sean, was a man looking for a match. And we took it around the world. It was translated into four languages. We took it to film festivals all over the country and in Europe to just let people know how easy it was to sign up for the registry. It's just a cheek swab. And we just wanted people to know that. We thought that making a movie was the easiest way to communicate that information. Well, and you talked about the success uh, for James, and his success came as a result of a person who got a swab in a little German village because his friend was sick. Yes. And, and although there wasn't a match there, there was a match between this cat in this little German village and this guy in Dallas, Texas. It's an incredible thing. In Germany, it is part of the fabric of their society that when you turn 18, you go into the registry. So their entire population goes into the registry. It's very different here. Here, it's about spreading the word and it's very uh, person driven. In other words, if somebody's sick, they'll have a drive to try and get a match. But there it's really, and also in Israel and a couple other countries, it just, it becomes almost like getting a driver's license. You turn a certain age and you get swabbed and go into the international registry. Michael's artistry and his legacy and his creative abilities crossed over into friendships that last lasted a lifetime. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, one of the special guests here is Branford Marsalis. 
And oh man, there's this fabulous Tane Watts record with with Branford and Michael together. It's a tune that uh, Tane wrote about a little dog that he has called Mister JJ, and the two of them just go at it, and it's just spectacular the way they interplay with one another. But I I referenced you know students of today that can go to William Patterson University and access. Michael's archive. I believe they can even access it online and and learn more from a man who's not here, but yet is. Yes. Dave Dempsey, who runs the jazz department at William Patterson and I have been working on the archives for many years. And it's become a really comprehensive place to not only find Michael's music, but see some of the artifacts of his life and incredible picture uh, journal that that Dave created. It's it's really a beautiful place. And and Michael has uh connections with the people that are on, you know, Christopher Cross, Diana Crawl. I'm I'm thinking of pick yourself up from her live in Paris record. Just oh amazing performances. But that, you know, that was what Michael brought to the table each and every time. And that's why you have these lasting friendships and friendships that also included Shaka Khan and Bobby McFerrin and so many others that have been part of the other three events that you have uh, presented. What's in store for uh, February the 6th in the Appel Room? We are so excited. It's going to be the best show yet. We were very, very fortunate to have uh, Diana Krall and Elvis Costello sign on immediately. Diana, of course, lost her mom to the same thing that Michael passed away from, and she has been tireless in her efforts to support cancer research, specifically blood cancers. So we are absolutely over the moon to have them there. Um, also, Diane Reeves has been a, a constant source of support for us, and she'll be playing with uh, Humera Labambo, which is gonna be an incredible moment in music. Um, Branford, of course, as you said, a very dear old friend and immediately said yes. And Christopher Cross has been so generous to come to New York and play for our audience. He has been a constant support for us since he signed on. And um, we are so excited to have him there. We really believe this will um, bring our audience to, to great heights musically. The doctors involved, Azra Raza and Siddhartha Mukherjee, talk about what they have have had have had come about as a result of the money raised uh, from these benefit concerts. It's astonishing, really. the The money that we've raised has enabled them to continue the work in their lab to try and realize the source of cancer and arresting it within the first cell. Both of them have um, achieved incredible um, discoveries in their labs, Sid specifically with childhood leukemia and um, Azra with the first cell. She has a center at um, Columbia that they study the first cell. And they really believe with the right support that they can start to deal with the scourge of cancer that we are all affected by. Everyone is affected by cancer and they are committed. They have committed their life to finding answers and to stopping the spread of cancer. Now let's talk about the, the Michael Brecker saxophone competition that happens in Europe. Is that still an ongoing uh, an ongoing thing? That's so kind of you to mention that, Gary. 
Uh, we had the first one in Israel in, I believe, 2019, and it was quite a success. We had it at the Red Sea Jazz Festival. We had 108 applicants from 22 countries, and it was really exciting. Unfortunately, the pandemic hit and we weren't able to find a home uh, for, the, for the next competition, but we are very hopeful that either this summer or next summer, we will have a home for it and we will have another competition to support young saxophone players who could use a leg up and to start their career. And, and your husband's ideal because he reveled, you know, how many little cassettes and CDs and demos did he listen to? Answer, all of them. That's right. We, we received at least five cassettes a week from strangers, and he sat down and listened to each and every one of them. And being Michael, he found something good in all of them, um, and which is was really his nature. He was able to pick out the wonderful things that he could hear and really feel good about the work that was coming his way. Well, it's been quite a, it's been quite a success, the fourth one. And of course, we had a couple of years where, you know, we had to put it on the back burner there for a while, but we're back and in full strength. Now, tickets are on sale. There's a website, correct, where you can go? Yes, you can go to jazz.org and um, it, there's you click on concerts and events. And underneath that, you click on visiting presenters because we are indeed visiting and uh, there are tickets for sale and it's a wonderful concert and a wonderful cause to support. Now, will will people that evening be able to be swabbed? We decided not to have swabbing at the event, but certainly um, you can go online to dkmsamericas.org and they will send you a free kit in the mail and you can swab your cheeks and send it right back. And there's no cost to you. And then you're registered in the international registry and you can save a life just with your blood. There have been other successes and matches around the world from uh, from this kind of outreach? Absolutely. From the drives that Daryl Pitt, who is my producing partner in the concert, from the drives and from um, that we did all over the world and from the film, we did drives every time we showed the film, there have been over 100 matches made. Oh is really a, an incredible thing. It feels like a drop in the bucket, but if it was your person that was sick and their lives were saved as a result of this match, then that's a huge, a huge feat. And, and we're really proud of that. Elvis yes. Costello, Diana Krall, Christopher Cross, Diane Reeves, Branford Marsalis, and uh, so many others are going to be on board. I can't wait to see Steve Gann. I've always enjoyed his work. And Will Lee. What a what a sparkler he is. Will is amazing. And he's been our musical director for a couple of years now. And he does an incredible job rallying the, the musicians together, writing the charts, creating a beautiful sense of flow in the evening. We're we're just thrilled. Will is an old friend and an old friend of Mike's, as as is Steve Gadd. They go way back and they're very excited to play with Randy which will be so fun. Didn't they all used to live together in the village? I, I think yeah, I think so. If not, they were always at 7th Avenue South. <laughs> um, and Randy's wife, Ada Rovati, the great tenor saxophone player, will also be there. And um, wow. we're, so I'll be, I'll be not only in good company, but I'll be with family. And I, I can't wait. February the 6th in the Appell Room at Jazz at Lincoln Center. 
the Nearness of You Benefit Concert. Susan Brecker, thank you so much. This is this is always a joy. Thank you so much for having me, Gary, and, and for highlighting the concert. I really appreciate you and everyone at BGO. Let's keep jazz alive. You can see the entire interview with Gary Walker and Susan Brecker on the WBGO Facebook page. And now WBGO film critic Harlan Jacobson gets a rare chance to talk about a play that happens to feature his wonderful friends. Newman and Woodward, Burton and Taylor, Rip Torn, Geraldine Page, even Streisand and Roland. Just to run the list a little differently than the usual, Lunt Fontaine, Cronin and Tandy, Bogart and Bacall, what am I talking about? Great actors who married, lived together, and work together. Joining us today on The Journal are my good friends, actors Nancy Nichols and Joel Leffert, who top line a new play, The Sweet Spot, presented as the first production by the American Bard Theatre Company at the 59 East 59th Street Theatre in Manhattan, which has a 20-year history of launching and promoting small plays from around the U.S. Joel, Nancy, yes, welcome sir. to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks, Harlan. <laughs> okay. So The Sweet Spot was written by playwright Alice Jankel and directed by Paige Clements. And in the play, which unfolds over 60 or so minutes, you play a septuagenarian couple facing a difficult decision. Judging by the dramatic line in the play, it's as if it was written for you. Tell us more about what the play's about. Well, it it's a... Um... It's a loving look at this long-married couple who have a, an easy banter with each other. It sometimes verges on outright hostility in the way they, they argue back and forth. Uh, it's humorous and it's touching. The, the point is they've reached a, this moment in their lives where they're, they're torn and pulled in two directions. One is the, the birth of a, a great grandchild and all that celebration of the next generation and the enjoyment of youth and the uh, upcoming aging process, which is sending them in the other direction toward uh, who will take care of them in their very old age. So <clears throat> they're, they're receiving a, a important phone call from an assisted living facility that has uh, that they 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 inquired about while one of them was sick. Yeah, they're better now, but the the place calls up and says, "Hey, we got a room right here for you guys. When are you when are you moving in?" You you've been married to each other since 1983. I looked it up. Now uh, I wasn't a math major, but that's 41 years and counting. Um, and it took you a while, but presumably before that, circling each other nervously in the theater to get to the altar. So 
Tell me a little bit about how you found each other before you get to this spot about whether you decide you're going to stick each other away in an old folks home. There you go. Well, we uh, met at Trinity Square Repertory, as it was known in those days, in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, mm -hmm. where I was a company member. And Joel was jobbed in as a guest star to play Orlando in As You Like It. Mm -hmm. And I was playing Celia, the friend of the, the female star, played by Margot Skinner. Uh, directed and uh, eventually directed by Adrian Hall. It was uh, a wonderful experience, and it was a chance for me to meet this guy, whom I was instantly attracted to. Um, he has he has the full package, as far as I'm concerned. He's he's funny, he's sexy, he's smart, and he's a good actor. So um, it, for me, it was kind of a a win win situation. Joel came in with uh, his own background uh, from a uh, New York City as a New York City actor. And my one fear was that he was already burdened with uh, a significant other and that I would uh, once again be, you know, a uh, lonely actress out on the road somewhere, right? Uh, you can supplement. Uh, we were we were mutually attracted right away. Uh, we shared various um, uh, acting experiences up in Pro Providence. Uh, Adrian ripped into the whole company after one important dress rehearsal and immediately redirected the show, took over the direction of the show, reblocked it, changed everything. And it was a two-hour performance, essentially, where he just imitated all your bad habits on stage. And it was hysterical, hysterically funny, and also... Very Perfect. intimidating. And we needed a few drinks after that. Yeah. And that's when we really started to get to know each other. Yeah. Uh, it was it was great fun. Uh, and I, I convinced her to come to New York and, and and look for work here because she would work more often and do more of this type of roles that she wanted to do. You've played kings. You've played queens. You've done your share of the Williams, Shakespeare, and Tennessee. But this is a play that, that's uniquely focused on you, your cohort, about aging together as a couple, about aging uh, as a couple who face a critical moment. How did you key into the characters? And then the other thing is, is does that change from night to night, performance to performance? Um, it's always changing. You hope it's always changing for the better. Uh, you come to it with the energy of the day, but you have to start at a certain point. The play insists that you have a certain amount of energy at the beginning. Uh, your prior circumstances is what's bringing you into that first scene. And for us, we've decided that they've just had sex that night. Mm. And, and and she's out there cleaning up uh, her the, the breakfast table. No, we didn't have sex on the table. But <laughs> but the um, it, she has a routine where she sets the breakfast table the night before. And she's finishing that up. And we have to start with that sense of intimacy right away. And then there are all these questions that are about to come on our plate. The first one being about the great grandchild that's going to be born and at the back of the mind this this possible journey uh and move to an assisted living facility she broke her arm or, or uh, ripped out her shoulder six months ago we looked at this place now she's healed and she doesn't want to hear about it she wants to stay where she is with all the memories are this beautiful upper west side apartment filled with pictures and smells and they're they're lifelong new yorkers so mm -hmm. they they have a, a level of um, 
cultural expectation of friendliness, of a sense of a cadre of friends that they hang out with um, that uh, Vita very much fears will not be able to replicate when they move to a different location. So Jerry, is uh, he's got his eye on the long view and uh, is, uh, is, is a good planner. And I think she's more... Uh, oh, well, let's just see what happens, you know, as many of us are, you know, mm. we, tend, we tend to be in that stupid bubble of, of, you know, the sweet life, you know, and, and, uh, it doesn't Jerry, yeah. Jerry is more of the hunter gatherer. He, he, he yeah. comes out at, in front, he's scouting for the relationship. Where should right. they go? And, and the, the, the real permission to move the, the, the real dominant force here is her. Yeah. We can't go anywhere unless she approves. And Vita is a little more frustrated in her career, I think. She was a one-time champion cookbook editor whose career seems to have taken a back seat to Jerry's, which seems to be maybe the thorniest issue for maybe a lot of couples and maybe the couple in this play. Yeah, I uh, think it's pretty resonant mm. for, the, for uh, couples for whom, I mean, and it's not always the wife, but I think it uh, is perhaps more often the wife who uh, makes herself available to raise the kids or whatever, or maybe just doesn't have the opportunities for whatever reason. But she's had a 40-year career yeah. as an editor, uh, and, and she's gotten a lot of contacts out of that, a lot of friendships out of that. It's just that the normal retirement age came up and she retired. So she has all this energy. She's a docent at a couple of museums. She's a, She doesn't want to lose that connection to a sense of purpose, which her work gave her, which the docenting gives her. And she's afraid that that means she loses that purpose. She gets old and she right. defines herself as an old person now. When, um, in the words of the of the that Alice Jankel wrote for Jerry when he explains the sweet spot. He says it's when you can move, but you don't need to. That's the sweet spot. And that's what You're he keeps charged. returning to. Yes, you still you have your agency. Yeah. Now, um, what did you get from, I guess, the direction either from Paige Clements or the work that you did with Alice Jankel that helped you flesh out uh, these very real characters of this very real moment? Uh, well, of course, it's in it's in the writing. Uh, I say I'm not ready. I also say I don't want to be done. You know, when he talks about my leaving the the job at which I was happy to retire, I think that might be his interpretation of it. Um, I think anybody who has found a job that they love is never happy to retire, but they might be a little tired. Um, it, you know, we all we all want to be allowed to have a purpose and to use ourselves in a way that makes a difference. And if we don't get to do that, um, I think it it turns our lives kind of sour. Do you play with each other on stage, throw each other a curveball or save each other when one of you sort of blew through a stop sign? Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, oh, for sure. We're looking out for the other all the time. We are. Yeah. But there's nothing. Uh, yeah, you don't want to throw too many curveballs because the script will do that for you anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's a real tennis game in terms of back and forth across the table. Uh, the dialogue comes kind of fast, and and uh, and the banter repeats itself quite often in the yeah. different uh, different days of the play. And you go, oh wait, wait a minute, this is scene two, right? Uh, right. And you're you're eating the same food again, or, or drinking the same metamucil in right. the morning, and you've got to make sure you're planted in the right day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we we screw up every now. But we help each other out, of course. You go, mm, oh, she's not going to say that line, or he's not going to react that way. Mm, okay. Yeah. Onward. Try not to think too much about it. It's playing. That's, yeah. Does it impact your breakfast table discussion the next day? Well, yeah. we, we go over the script every day and, mm. and uh, you know, notate the places where the problems happen and hopefully don't repeat them. Um, yeah. I call her Vita every now and then. <laughs> we hope that this play gets done in, in different productions around the country. It's four characters, one scene, very relevant, and it's fun. So I will, uh, with the, the playwright's uh, permission, send the script to a couple of theaters I've worked at already and uh, see if they're interested. The Sweet Spot is at the 59 East 59th Street Theater in Manhattan. Joel and Nancy, keep us uh, in the loop on your plans, especially if you get cast in the new production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Ah, okay. Here kind we of an update on, on the sweet spot. Uh, Joel, Nancy, it's been an honor to have you on the WBGO Journal. Very Thank sweet. Thank you, Harlan. Thank you. Real pleasure. You can also see Harlan Jacobson's interview with Nancy Nichols and Joel Leffer on the WBGO Facebook page. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Join us next Saturday morning at 5.30 for another edition of the award-winning WBGO Journal. In the meantime, stay tuned to the world's greatest jazz and blues station, WBGO and WBGO.org.